Book Three, Chapter Two of the History of Sir Richard Calmady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Hand. The History of Sir Richard Calmady by Lucas Mallet. Book Three, La Belle Dame Sans Merci, Chapter Two, Telling How Dicky's Soul Was Somewhat Sick and how he met fair women on the confines of a wood. Richard Calmady rode homeward through the autumn woods, and the aspect of them was very lovely. But their loveliness was hectic, a loveliness, as it seemed, at all events at first sight, of death and burial rather than of life and hope. The sky was overcast, and a chill clung to the stream-side and haunted the hollows. The young man's humor, unfortunately, was only too much in harmony with the more melancholy suggestions of the scene. For Richard was by nature something of a poet, though he but rarely wrote verses and usually burned them as soon as written, being scholar enough to know and feel impatient of the second best, and this inherent strain of poetry in him tempered the active and practical side of his character, making wealth and position, and all those things which the worldly-minded seek, seem of slight value to him at times. It induced in him many and very varying moods. It carried him back often, even now in the strength of his young manhood, to the fine fancies and exquisite unreason of the fairy world in which those so sadly ill-balanced footsteps of his had first been set. Today had proved so far an unlucky one, prolific of warfare between his clear brain and all-too-sensitive heart. For it was the burden of Richard's temperament, the almost inevitable result of that ever-present thorn in the flesh, that he shrunk as a poet, even as a woman, while as a man, and a strong one, he reasoned and fought. It fell out on this wise. He had attended the quarter sessions at West Church, and a certain restlessness, born of the changing seasons, being upon him, he had ridden. His habit, when passing outside the limits of his own property, was to drive. He became aware, and angrily conscious his groom was aware also, that his appearance afforded a spectacle of the liveliest interest to the passers-by, that persons of very various age and class had stopped and turned to gaze at him, and that, while crossing the bridge spanning the dark, oily waters of the canal, in the industrial quarter of the pushing, wide-awake county town, he had been the subject of brutal comment, followed by a hoarse laugh from the collarless throats of some dozen operatives and bargees loitering thereupon. The consequence was that the young man arrived in court, his eyes rather hard and his jaw set. Rich, well-born, not undistinguished, too, for his attainments, and only three-and-twenty. Dicky had a fine fund of arrogance to draw upon yet. He drew upon it this morning, rather to the confusion of his colleagues upon the bench. Mr. Cathcart, the chairman, was already present and stood talking with Mr. Seymour, the rector of Farley, a shrewd, able parson of the old sporting type. Captain Fox of Waterend was there, too, and so was Lemuel Image, oldest son of Mr. Image, sometime mayor of Westchurch, who has been mentioned in the early pages of this chronicle. In the last twenty years, supported by ever-increasing piles of barrels, the Image family had mounted triumphantly upward in the social scale. Lemuel, the man in question, married a poor and distant relation of Lord Adborough, the late Lord Lieutenant of the county and had by this, and by a rather truculent profession of high Tory politics, secured himself a seat on the bench. He had given a fancy price, too, for that pretty little place, Fraud's Mill, the grounds of which form such an exasperating Naboth's vineyard in the heart of the Newlands property. 
neither his person nor his politics nor his absence of culture found favor in richard calmady's sight and today being somewhat on edge the brewer's large blustering presence and manner at once patronizing and servile struck him as peculiarly odious image betrayed an evil tendency to emphasize his remarks by slapping his acquaintances upon the back he was also guilty of supposing a defect of hearing in all persons older than or in any measure denied the absolute plethora of physical vigor so conspicuous in himself he invariably raised his voice in addressing richard in return for which graceful attention dicky most cordially detested him image is a bit of a cad and certainly calmady makes no bones about letting him know it captain fox remarked to mr seymour as they drove back to farley in the latter's dog-cart fortunately he has a hide like a rhinoceros or we should have had a regular row between them more than once this morning calmady's generally charming but i must say when he likes he can be about the most insolent fellow i've ever met in a gentlemanlike way a great deal of that is simply self-protective the clergyman answered it is not difficult to see how it comes about when you take his circumstances into account if i was him god forgive me i know i shouldn't be half so sweet-tempered he bears it wonderfully well all things considered nor did the disturbing incidents of the day end with the familiarities of the loud-voiced brewer the principal case to be tried was a melancholy one enough a miserable history or wayward desire shame and suffering followed by a despairing course of lies and petty thieving to help support the poor baby whose advent seemed so wholly a curse the young mother a pretty desperate creature made no attempt at denial she owned she had robbed her mistress of a shilling here and a sixpence there that she had taken now a bit of table silver and then a garment to the pawn-shop how could she help it her wages were a trifle since her character was damaged wasn't it a charity to employ a girl like her at all so her mistress said and yet the child must live and richard calmady sitting in judgment there with those four other gentlemen of substantial means and excellent position sickened as he listened to the sordid details the relentless elementary arguments for the girl awed and frightened at first grew eloquent in self-defence she loved him he being a smart young fellow who with excellent recommendations from chiffney had left the brockhurst stable some two years before to take service in westchurch and he always spoke her fair had told her he'd marry her right enough after a bit before god he would but it would ruin his chance of first-class places if he married yet the gentry wouldn't take any but single men of his age a wife would stand in his way and she didn't want to stand in his way he knew her better than that no but that he reckoned her just as much his wife as any woman could be of course he did what a silly she was to trouble about it and then when there was no hiding any longer how it was with her he up and away to london saying he would make a home for her there and he kept on writing for a bit but he never told her where to write him in return so she couldn't answer and then his letters came seldom then stopped altogether and then and then the girl was rebuked for her much speaking and so wasting the time of the court there were other cases and richard calmady sickened yet more recognizing in that a parable of perpetual application for are there not always other cases the tragedy of the individual life reaching its climax seems to the chief actor worthy to claim and hold universal attention yet the sun never stands still in heaven nor do the footsteps of men tarry upon earth no one person may take up too much space too much time the movement of things is not stayed the single cry however bitter is drowned in the roar of the pushing crowd the individual however keen his griefs 
however heinous the offence done him, must make way for those same other cases. This is the everlasting law. And so pained, out of tune, troubled too by smouldering fires of anger, Richard left West Church and his fellow magistrates as early as he decently could. Avoiding the high road leading by Newlands and through Sandyfield Village, he cut across country by field lanes and over waste lands to Farley Row. The wide quiet of the autumn afternoon, the slight chill in the air, were grateful to him, after the noise and close atmosphere of the court. Yet the young man strove vainly to think of pleasant things and to regain his serenity. The girl's tear-blotted face, the tones of her voice, haunted him. Six weeks' imprisonment. The sentence, after all, was a light one. Yet who was he? Who were those four other well-to-do gentlemen, that they should judge her at all? How could they measure the strength of the temptation which had beset her? If temptation is strong enough, must not the tempted of necessity yield? If the tempted does not yield, is that not merely proof that the temptation was not strong enough? The whole thing appeared to him a matter of mathematics or mechanics. Given a greater weight than it can carry, the rope is bound to break. And then for those who have not felt the strain to blame the rope, punish the rope. It seemed to Richard, as he rode homeward, that human justice is too often a very comedy of injustice. It all appeared to him so exceedingly foolish. And yet society must be protected. Other pretty, weak, silly creatures must be warned, by such rather brutal object lessons, not to bear bastards or pawn their mistress's spoons. Je ne sais pas ce que c'est que la vie éternelle, mais c'est si est une mauvaise plaisanterie, Dicky quoted to himself somewhat bitterly. He turned aside at Farley Row, following the narrow road that runs behind the houses in the main street, and the great vacant stables and outbuildings of the White Lion Inn. And here, as though the immediate displeasures of this ill-starred day were insufficient, memory arose and recalled other displeasures of long ago. Recalled old Jackie Deeds lurching out of that same inn-yard, empty pipe in mouth, greedy of alms. Recalled the old post-boy's ugly morsel of profanity. God Almighty had his jokes, too. And, at that, the laughter of those loafers upon the canal bridge saluted Richard's ears once more, as did the loud, familiar phrases of Mr. Lemuel Image, the West Church brewer. Before him the flat expanse of Clerk's Green opened out, and the turf of it, beaded with dew which the frail sunshine of the early morning had failed to burn up, was crossed by long tracks of darker green where flocks of geese had wandered over its misty surface. Here the travelling menagerie and all the booths of the fair had been stationed. Memory rigged up the tents once more, painted the vans in crude, glaring colors, set drums beating and merry-go-rounds turning, pointed a malicious finger at the signboard of a certain show. How many times Richard had passed this way in the intervening years and remembered in passing, yet thrown all hurt of remembrance from him directly and lightly. Today it gripped him. He put his horse into a sharp trot. Skirting the edge of the green, he rode down a rutted cart lane, farm buildings and well-filled rickyards on the left, and forded the shallow brown stream which separates the parish of Farley from that of Sandyfield and the tithing of Brockhurst. Ahead lay the wide, rough road, ending in a broken avenue of ancient oaks, and bordered on either hand by a strip of wasteland overgrown with coarse grasses and low thickets of maple, which leads up to the entrance of the Brockhurst woods. Over these hung a soft, bluish haze, making them appear vast in extent, 
and upraising the dark ridge of the fir forest which crowns them to mountain height against the western sky a covey of partridges ran up the sandy road before richard's horse and rising at last with a long-drawn whirr of wings skimmed to the top of the bank and dropped into the pale stubble field on the other side of it he paused at the head of the avenue while the keeper's wife in lilac apron and sunbonnet ran out to open the big white gate the dogs meantime from their kennels under the spanish chestnuts upon the slope behind her gabled cottage setting up a vociferous chorus thus heralded richard passed into the whispering mysterious stillness of the autumn woods the summer had been dry and fine the foliage unusually rich and heavy all the young wood ripening well consequently the turn of the leaf was very brilliant that year the sweetly sober english landscape seemed to have run mad and decked itself as for a masquerade in extravagant splendors of color the smooth stemmed beeches had taken on every tint from fiery brown through orange and amber to verdigris green touching latest july shoots the round-headed oaks practicing even in carnival time a measure of restraint had arrayed themselves in a hundred rich finely gradated tones of russet and umber while here and there a tall bird cherry waxing wanton had clothed itself like the woman of babylon in rose scarlet from crown to lowest black barked twig higher up the larch plantations rose in crowds of butter colored spires amethystine and blood-red white-spotted toadstools in little companies pushed through the light soil on either side of the road trailing sprays of bramble glowed as flame rowan berries hung in heavy coral bunches and the dogwood spread itself in sparse china pink clusters only the undergrowth of crooked alders in swampy low-lying places kept its dark purplish green and the light foliage of the ash waved in shadowy pallor against its knobbed and knotted branches and the ranks of the encircling firs restrained their solemn habit as though in protest against the universal riot the stream hidden away in the hazel coppice gurgled and murmured beech masts pattered down startling the stillness as with a sudden dropping of thunder rain squirrels disturbed in the ingathering of their winter store whisked up the boles of the great trees and scolded merrily from the forks of the high branches shy wild things rustled and scampered unseen through the tangled undergrowth and beds of bracken while that veil of bluish haze touched all the distance of the landscape with a delicate mystery and softly blotted the vista of each wide shooting drive or winding pathway to left and right and as richard rode onward leaves gay even in death fluttering down around him his mood began to suffer change he ceased to think and begin to feel merely first came a dreamy delight in the beauty of the scene about him then the sense of mystery grew upon him of mystery not merely hanging in the delicate haze but dwelling in the endless variety of form and color which met his eyes of mystery inviting him in the soft multitudinous voices of the woodland and as the minutes passed this sense grew increasingly provocative became too increasingly elusive the light leapt into dicky's eyes he smiled to himself he was filled with unreasoning expectation he seemed it was absurd but very charming to be playing hide-and-seek with some glad secret which at any instant might be revealed to him it murmured to him in the brook it scolded at him merrily with the scolding squirrels it startled the surrounding stillness with the down pattering beech masks and a fluttering of leaves it eluded him deftly rustling away unseen through the green and gold of the bracken lastly when reaching the summit of the ridge of hill 
he entered upon the levels of the great table-land it hailed him in the long-drawn sighing of the fir forest for a wind suddenly awakened swept towards him from some far distance neared broke overhead as summer waves upon a shingly beach died in delicious whispers only to sweep up and break and die again meanwhile the gray pall of cloud parted in the west disclosing spaces of faint yet clearest blue and the declining sun from behind dim islands of shifting vapor set forth immense rays of mild and misty light richard laughed involuntarily to himself for there was a fantastic curiously alluring influence in all this it spoke to him as in delicate persuasion his sense of expectation intensified he would not ride homeward and shut himself within four walls just yet but yield himself to the wooing of these fair sylvan divinities to that of the spirit of the evening wind of the softly shrouding haze and of the broadening sunlight a little longer a turf ride branches away to the left leading along a narrow outstanding spur of tableland to a summer-house the prospect from which is among the noted beauties of brockhurst this summer-house or temple as it has come to be called is an octagonal structure round shafted pillars rise at each projecting angle in the recesses between them are low stone benches save in front where an open colonnade gives upon the view the roof is leaded and surmounted by a wooden ball and tall three-sided spike these last as well as the plastered windowless walls are painted white within the hollow of the dome is decorated in fresco with groups of gaily clad ladies and their attendant cavaliers with errant cupids garlands of flowers trophies of rather impossible musical instruments and cages full of imprisoned and therefore doubtless very naughty loves the colors have grown faint by action of insweeping wind and weather but this lends a pathos to the light-hearted highly artificial art emphasizing the contrast between it and its immediate surroundings for the temple stands on a platform of turf at the extreme point of the spur of tableland the hillside clothed with heather and bracken fringed lower down with a coppice of delicate birches falls steeply away in front and on either hand outstretched below besides the panorama of the great woods lies all the country about farley on to west church and beyond again pastures and cornlands scattered hamlets and red-roofed farms half hidden among trees the glint of streams set in the vivid green of water meadows and soft blue range behind range of distance to that pale uprising of chalk down in the far south upon the right some quarter of a mile away blocking the end of an avenue of ancient scotch firs the eastern facade of brockhurst house shows planted proudly upon the long gray and red lines of the terrace richard checked his horse pausing to look for a moment at that well-beloved home then musing he let his horse go forward along the level turf ride the glistering gray dome and white columns of the temple standing out against the spacious prospect the growing brightness of this last still chastened by delicious autumn haze captivated his imagination there was seen thus a simplicity and distinction altogether classic in the lonely building to him it appeared not unfit shrine for the worship of that same all-pervasive spirit of mystery not unfit spot for the revelation of that same glad yet cunningly elusive secret of which he suffered the so fond obsession and so it was that when coming abreast of the building the sound of young voices women's voices and finely modulated laughter saluted his ear though startled for no stranger had the right of entry to the park he was by no means displeased 
This seemed but part of the all-pervasive magic of this strange afternoon. Richard smiled at the fantasies of his own mood, yet he forgot to be shy, forgot the distressing self-consciousness which made him shrink from the observation of strangers, especially of those of the other sex. The adventure tempted his fancy. Even familiar things had put on a new and beguiling vesture in the last half hour. So there were miracles abroad, perhaps. Anyhow, he would satisfy himself as to the aspect of those sweet-voiced and as-yet-unseen trespassers. He let his horse go forward slowly across the platform of turf. End of chapter 2 of Book 3